Let me say, like, that song you heard, like, some of you, we realize we, we haven't done this event in a couple of years because of, you know, everything for the last couple of years. Um, and so most of you have never done this or heard that song. And so I just have to say I'm sorry because my kids, we, we first time we discovered that and played that crazy song, um, my kids sang it for like months. They knew all the words to it. And so this morning as I woke up, that song was just like on repeat through my head. But I got to say, that burrito last night was one of the best burritos I've ever had in my life. It was fantastic. So props to our, uh, thank you to our great volunteers. Um, Scott did the barbacoa and Sean and Wes that did the chicken and uh, everybody that served and, and is helping uh, pull off this event. So it really is a lot of fun and it's a great cause. Um, everybody that goes on this trip, um, basically everybody covers their own expenses, but then we give you as the church the opportunity to jump in and help build the house, help cover the house materials. And so um, house costs about $10,000. We're going to build two houses this year. We've got some other churches coming along too, and they're helping out a little bit um, with that as well. I hope you're hungry and I hope you'll stick around and eat because it was amazing. Also, our, our friend uh, uh, Ryan that has DJ Grizz, he's going to be bumping some groovy tunes out there too. So um, we'll see if we can get you dancing at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Um, maybe we'll do some mariachi and see. Watch your moves. Anybody got moves? No? Okay, we'll move on. All right, well, hey, um, we are in a series in the book of John, and next week we're actually going to pause for a little bit. We've been preaching, uh, making a journey through the book of John verse by verse. We're going to take about the next four to six weeks, and we're going to cover some topics starting next week on uh, Mother's Day that we think will really um, speak to you, kind of some different topics over the next four to six weeks, and then uh, sometime in the summer we'll dive back in and continue our journey in John. But to get us there today, um, let me just ask you, have you ever traveled? I, I remember one time I was traveling, I actually don't remember exactly where it was, but I remember going to this uh, new place and um, it was like really good blackout curtains, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night and it's completely pitch black, and I'm trying to get out of bed, and I'm just like groping around, trying to like, where's the light switch? Where am I? Totally disoriented. And you know, at first it's like, it's just so weird. And then you start like panicking a little bit, and finally, you know, you find a light switch after you bang your head on the wall, and, uh, and you can see something. Anybody else done that? Yeah, it's a weird disorienting feeling, isn't it? Or I, uh, I told this last night and I got in trouble because the superintendent of the monument goes here. So don't do this because it's illegal. Um, but when I was a kid, we'd like to go up onto the monument and there's some tunnels up there. Yeah. If you're in the like if you're around in the 90s, everybody did this, right? And uh, you'd go through and you'd sneak through these tunnels, and it was just pitch black, which meant we like to scare the girls because you know you're you're like in ninth grade, what do you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade? What else do you do, right? Um, but as we come through these, uh, as we come through the tunnel, and it's pitch black, and you're sort of groping your way through, all of a sudden there's this little point of light, and it's like yes, and you pop out, and the moonlight and the lights of the valley come out, and it's so beautiful and it's a relief, actually, as you're in this space that just feels like it's closing in on you um, to experience that, right? Or one more quick story for you, and then I'll get to the message. I, uh, years ago, I was up in Alaska. I was in my 20s. 
I was on this motor sailor, and we we uh, sailed out of Seward. We were going over to Cordova, the Prince William Sound, and we hit some really choppy, rough weather, and it it scared us. And I remember we tucked in in this little bay um, overnight, and I was on night watch, and I got like the 3 a.m. shift, and it was just so scary as you sit there. And the wind's blowing, and the scary thing is you never know if the wind's going to, like, pick up your anchor, and you're going to drift into the shore, and you, you can't see anything out there. It's pitch black. And I remember the relief when that first light came up. And you, you, all of a sudden, you see where you are in orientation to reality and to the world, and just that feeling of relief. Light is actually pretty important in our lives, isn't it? We don't really think about it in this day and age. You know, you've got a flashlight on your phone. You've got, you know, LEDs. You've got all this stuff. There's lights everywhere, right? Actually, we have light pollution. <laughs> we have, like, you have to worry about too much blue light at night, right? So it's kind of the opposite many times in our lives. Um, but if you've ever been somewhere that's just pitch black, you realize the value of light. Light's a critical element in life. And in the text we're going to read today, we're going to see actually something that Jesus says about light. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read you this passage. We're in John chapter 8. I'm going to read these verses and comment a little bit, and then we're going to come back and really zone in and highlight one of these verses. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, we'll be in John 8, starting in verse 12. We're going to read down to 20, and it says this, uh, when Jesus spoke again to the people, remember he's at the festival of booths or tabernacles, also known as uh, Sukkot, which is the, the Hebrew word for it, where they... Pilgrims from all over Israel come down three times a year, and this was one of them, and they would come down. The city would flood. There's tents everywhere. They camp out. It's like a week-long family camp. And so this is where Jesus actually comes, and he's speaking in this passage of Scripture. And he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that is quite a statement. And actually, the religious leaders don't like it at all. And they go on in verse 13. It says, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now, in their culture, you had to have two or three witnesses of anything, which is actually you couldn't just one person accuse somebody of doing something and cancel them or kill them or whatever. You had to have two or three witnesses. And so to establish here who he was, they're saying, you, you're just speaking on your own behalf. You're tooting your own horn. Why should we listen to you? And it says, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Remember chapter 7? Um, a few weeks ago, we looked at this text, and they asked him, like, where, where's your credentials? Because every rabbi has to have an authority that's passed down. He said, uh, um, my PhD comes from the University of Heaven. That's my credentials. That's my authority. Um, like, where are you from? Heaven. Where are you going? Heaven, right? He's he saying, I am from above. You just don't get it. You don't understand what's going on here. He goes on, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on 
no one, remember, as the, as the Son of God comes into this world, we saw back in uh, John um, 3, that says the Son of God, Jesus did not come into this world to, to condemn the world or to judge the world, right? But then we also see that those who reject Messiah already stand in, in judgment. That's the next verse, John 3, 17 and 18. It's, it's, it's heavy. There's a reality here. But Jesus says grace is available. We saw that last week. Um, he says, so I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Now, a little later after this response, um, and I guess we're going to take a break, so we won't see it for, for maybe a month or two, but when Jesus gets back to this conversation, he's going to say some of the harshest things he said to these religious leaders yet. Some pretty shocking things in response, because he understands, he knows their heart, he knows their character. He saw with complete disregard for the life of this woman, the way they drug this woman before him. We saw that last week, didn't bring the the guy. Um, And we're going to condemn her to death, just using her as a pawn in their scheme of trying to trap Jesus. He's seen their hearts. And so later on, he's going to say some really hard things in this chapter. He says, in your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. I got witnesses. (laughs) Uh, My word, you should listen to me. And the father who sent me, a God will testify for me. Remember a couple chapters ago, he said, God is my witness. The works I do that I've been sent from the father to do, they testify the very things, which is why when Nicodemus came to him in chapter three, he said, we know you're from God because no one can come doing the things that you do, but they don't get it. <laughs> then they asked him, where is your father? He says, you do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Says he spoke these words while teaching in the temple court near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. You see this phrase several times. The hour, that's what we celebrated when we just celebrated communion together. The time he would give his life willingly. He says, no one takes my life from me. I give it willingly for the sins of the world. And so, John chapter 8, this section. And what I really want to go back and highlight is the very first verse we read. The very first thing we read, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And I really want to dig into this a little bit here today and the implications of this. Because here's my fear, is that for many Christians, um, they, they've heard this. If you grew up in church, like you know this statement, and yet for many Christians, you're, you're not actually living like it's true. You're not actually living like you believe it. And so John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, There's so much going on here. And I want to start out with that very first phrase. He says, I am. So this is the second 
of the seven uh, I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. The first one we saw a month or two ago where he says, I am the bread of life. And he compares himself to the manna from God that was given, the sustenance from God that was given. This is the second one. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, this is so scandalous because this is so suggestive of a phrase that, that everyone knew very well, and that is in Exodus. Remember when God appears to Moses in a burning bush? Moses is, is long since given up on God using him. I, I believe he's just, he's hanging out. He's a shepherd. He watches the sun come up and the sun go down. He follows the sheep around. He's got kind of a comfortable desert, Middle Eastern life, eating some figs and, you know, every once in a while getting some fresh grapes and, and just like, you know, drinking some goat milk. And he's just happy, right? And then all of a sudden, one day he sees this burning bush this burning bush that's on fire. And as he approaches it, God um, reminds him of his purpose, why he became a prince of Egypt. Anybody watch that? Anybody's kids watch that? Prince of Egypt? Yeah. Why, why God placed him in this place and rescued him in such a dramatic way because he would be used to deliver his people. God would use him as the leader of his people, right? And so God encounters him and says, Moses asks, well, who am I? He says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, well, who should I say you are? And what does God say? I am that I am. I am that I am. The great name of God we see all the way throughout the scriptures. I am that I am. I am that I am. And so when Jesus says this, I am, ego ami, this is the translation in Greek from the Hebrew, ego ami, I am, followed by what he's going to say. And in case you think like, oh, he's just, he doesn't really mean that. Oh, at the, like glance down at the very end of chapter eight there, because they're asking him, and he says, hey, before your, before Abraham was, they're like, you're only like 30 something, you, you've never you say you've been around before Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And it says they picked up stones to kill him because they understood crystal clear what he was saying. He is comparing himself. He is saying, I am God in the flesh. I am God, come down. Uh, the word of God. Here's, here's some other things that we see when it comes to the light. So in this section, he says, I am the light of the world. And this is a, a significant theme surrounding God that we see all throughout the, uh, the scriptures. We see at creation, actually, God speaks. And, he, and what does he say? Let there be light. And there was light. What are the, right at the beginning, you see God actually speaking and creating natural, physical light. Um, we see in Psalms, talks about the Exodus, this time where Moses, you know, is leading the people, but actually it's God leading the people. And it says he guided them with a cloud by day and with a light from the fire all night. God's manifest presence is seen as light. Psalm 27, the psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Micah says, the Lord will be my light. 
And then we see the word of God, um, the word of God associated with life all throughout the scriptures too. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Do you remember if you've been here and maybe you're you're like, I don't remember because you've been preaching in John so long already. We've taken lots of breaks, but about a year ago, we we looked at the very start of the book of John. And how does John introduce us at the very beginning to Jesus? In, In the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were created. The word. So you see the, the light associated with the, with the word of God that gives us illumination, that guides us, that leads us through the darkness. And then John, again, at the very end of the scriptures, he tells us something very significant about the character of God and the attributes of God. He says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And one writer uh, says this. He says, light is part of his essence as is love. The message is that God is completely, unreservedly, absolutely holy with no admixture of sin, no taint of iniquity, and no hint of injustice. God is light. And Jesus now appears on the scene, and he makes everybody think back of when God appears to Moses in light, in a burning bush, and says, I am that I am. And Jesus gets up and says, Ego ami, I am the light of the world. Seven times he's going to make this statement throughout the book of John. I am. In fact, he illustrates this in a profound way. Anybody remember we preached through Luke several years ago? And uh, as we preached through Luke, there's this amazing scene that Luke tells us about that Peter was part of and, and uh, James and John. Jesus takes his closest three and goes up this mountain to pray. And as he's praying, his face, it's called the transfiguration, his face begins to glow. And it's like the light of God in the flesh just emanates out of him. And uh, these guys, because they were sleepy, so they wake up and they're blown away. And then Peter, of course, opens his mouth and says something dumb. Um, I relate with Peter, right? Because you, you speak this much, like, you're going to say dumb things, trust me. So um, I, I know that. Sometimes I do. Uh, so anyway, but Peter opens his mouth and, and says something dumb. And then this voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my son. Listen to him. And if you go read one of Peter's letters later on in life, you can tell how much this, this experience impacted him. When he says, we didn't follow myths We witness the glory of Jesus on display, the light of the world in a powerful and profound way on that mountain. And you can tell it changed everything for him. So Jesus gets up and says, I am the light of the world. Now, it's interesting when Jesus says this, too. Remember, uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at living water. Where he says, hey, if that thing, that something that's missing in your life... I'm that. I am water that you can come and experience that will actually fill that hole, fill that thirst that nothing that you keep trying to fill it will will fill. I'm the living water. Come to me and find real, true life. And that was during the Feast of Booths when they would do this ceremony where they'd go draw water and offer it on the altar. And he gets up and says, I'm the living water. And this now... Um, during the Feast of Booths, one other thing they would do, they had 16 
big bowls, golden bowls of oil that they would light with, with the big giant wicks. And it would light up the whole courtyard. In fact, remember, this is the time when they didn't have streetlights and lamps. So it would have been really dark, typically, in, a, in an ancient city. You know, little flickers of light coming from windows here and there. And they would light these lamps up during the Feast of, of Booths. And it would remind them, they did this, the Feast of Booths was to remind them of God's faithfulness as he led them through the wilderness so they'd camp out for a week and remember that he would sustain them as they lived in tents. And the kids would love it, family camp for a whole week. And then they would light these lights and it would remind them as God led them of the pillar and it would remind them of what's called the Shekinah glory of God that came down on the tabernacle and then later came down on the temple. But the sad thing and the thing they understood at this time was because of the ongoing rebellion and sin of the people as they fell into idolatry, the, the prophet um, Ezekiel talks about the, the glory departing the temple. It's this, you see the light, this crazy vision he sees, and he says, Ichabod, the glory is gone. And they understood in the first century that the glory of God had never come back into the temple, the Shekinah glory in the same way that it used to be there. And now Jesus, it's like Jesus appears on the scene and in front of these glowing, these, these glowing lampstands in the temple court, he says, I am the light of the world. It's like he says, I'm back. I'm here. God in the flesh. And it blows their minds. Here's what Augustine, uh, one of the church fathers, says about this um, festival of tabernacles. He said, said these torches, the torches they lit, sent such a blaze of light throughout Jerusalem that every courtyard was lit up. Then all night long until the rooster crowed in the next morning, the greatest and wisest of the holiest men in Israel danced before the Lord and sang songs of joy and praise while the people watched. Lit the whole city up and Jesus, here's Jesus, standing perhaps right in front of one of these lamps as he says, I'm here. The light is here in your midst. And not just the light of Jerusalem, not just the light that lights up right around here, the light of what? The light of the world. The good news is here for the world. The new covenant is here for the world. Forgiveness of sins is here for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Now, when you think about light in the natural realm, what does light do? It does lots of things, doesn't it? It, it reveals. It reveals things, doesn't it? Like when at the very first light, when, when all of a sudden it revealed where we are and I could breathe a, a sigh of relief on that boat because we weren't drifting into the, into the rocks. It reveals things. It brings things to light. Helps you see things as they really are. It exposes things, doesn't it? Light purifies. They purify uh, like air with light. Light purifies. It sustains life. It allows us to see what's dangerous, doesn't it? And avoid obstacles. Some of you have tripped, you've fallen, you've, you've banged your head on something in the dark, right? That light allows you to see things that are in front of you. It, on a spiritual level, it exposes our hearts. It exposes the darkness 
within. In fact, last week we saw it exposes sin and it exposes things that separate us from God. We saw this woman who was caught in adultery and the light of Jesus exposes the hearts of the Pharisees, but it also she's there. She's exposed to shame and ridicule. And how is she met in the midst of that? See, here's the light of God. She's met with grace and truth. She's met. Um, this light exposes her sin to bring healing and grace to her, doesn't it? And so Jesus looks at her, and as these other guys peel off because the light of Jesus exposes their hearts, and Jesus said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. They begin peeling off, oldest to youngest. And then Jesus says, where's your condemners? And, and she says, they're not here, Lord. And she says, neither do I condemn you. Grace. She's met with amazing grace. But now go and leave your life of sin. See, it exposes the light to bring healing and restoration, to bring holiness into life, to bring life as it was intended to be lived, joy of God, freedom from bondage. Jesus, in fact, uh, in, in Isaiah, it's one of the the prophecies that's talking about the Messiah says that, that there'll be something about the Messiah that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This, a fragile, damaged thing he's not going to squash with his thumb. A light that's barely lit, he's not going to snuff it out. And see, for some of you, maybe that's where you're at here today. And see, as the light of God comes into your life, as you open your life up to Jesus and, and let him into some of those places in your heart and your life, the purpose of the light isn't for, so that you will feel condemnation and shame, but so that you will walk through that into the forgiveness and into the life that he offers and receive the forgiveness and the grace. And the beautiful thing about our Savior, he's not going to snuff you out. That's not his heart. Like that woman caught that, his heart, is to restore life. It's, it's freedom. It's grace. In fact, Romans, Paul talks about it this way. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now. When's it now? You guys are a little slow on Sunday morning. You need more coffee. I had a bunch of youth right up here last night, and they... Man, they were on top of it. When's now? Yeah, very good, very good. Now. Right now. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. When Paul says that, it, it means to put your faith and trust fully in him, to identify with him, to be a follower of Jesus. And so many of you are potentially walking through life. Some of you, I know, are walking through life with just this constant voice of condemnation that I believe is the voice of, of our enemy, the enemy of our souls. Speaking condemnation into your heart and life. You will never be. You won't amount to anything. You will always struggle with this. You will all, never defeat this. You are not worthy. You can't get over your family's background. The voice of condemnation. See, there's a difference. The voice of the Holy Spirit brings conviction which says, hey, I want you to reorient your life 
and walk in the light and walk in the truth, but it's very different from the voice of condemnation, which speaks on your character and on who you are and that you will never and you can't be and you won't be enough and all. And some of you have this constant voice that's the voice of the enemy. And, And Paul would say, stop listening to that voice and start listening to the Holy Spirit. Yes, he will tell you when there's things that you need to adjust in your life, when there's sin that needs to be repented of, and when you need to walk towards him and walk with him. And then he'll give you the strength to begin to do that out of gratitude for this amazing fact that there's no condemnation. There's now no condemnation. That's the light. It comes in. Light comforts. It sustains. It brings us life. Light also drives back darkness and spiritual darkness. Have you ever gone into like a a basement or something and turn on a light and like the little bugs, creepy crawly things just scatter, right? Or, or uh, I did this the other day. Have you ever gone into like your, I have an almost teenager and I remember doing this. My parents would do this to me. They'd come in and be like, get out of bed. And you're like, right? And then, and then they come in and they pull the covers off your head and open the window and you shrink back like one of those like, like, and now it's so funny because I'm just like my parents. Now I'm doing it to my kid, you know? Get out of bed. <laughs> Light exposes darkness. This is true in the spiritual realm too. Because the scriptures teach us there's a, there's a real enemy of our souls. There's a demonic realm. And throughout my walk with Jesus, I, in certain uh, moments and times in other nations and different times here in this country. And I know as I've talked to some of you, different stories, you've experienced and come into contact um, with the demonic realm. And the power of the light of Jesus is that it drives out the darkness. That's why when Jesus just showed up on the scene, you see one of the main thing the demons do, they, like they recognize him and they're freaked out about it. No. And I'll tell you, we pray for people and we've seen God deliver and sometimes through prayer and fasting, um, sometimes instantaneously. But it's a very real thing. That's why as Christians, we don't dabble in occult things and Ouija boards and all these things because it's opening yourself up to a spiritual realm that you don't understand the power, the actual power of. My, my, my mom before they were married, had a crazy experience with that. They just thought, oh, this is fun, just a game. Until it predicted, like, within a few minutes, a phone call showed up predicting the actual date they'd just changed their wedding to, and it was like, ooh, whoa. It's the demonic realm. That's why Christians, we don't dabble with this, but we, bring, we don't fear it either, because we bring the light of Jesus into these dark places. You don't have to fear Satan because Jesus has victory over him. The light has overcome. John, what does John tell us in John 1 about Jesus? The light has entered the world. The light has overcome the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, as dark as dark is, a tiny, even a tiny light, that darkness can't overcome it. It's amazing when you've been in like a cave or something, you flick on like a a match or a lighter or a flashlight, and it's like, whoa. It's not like the darkness smothers it. now. the light shines. It drives back darkness and spiritual darkness. And we recognize Jesus says, 
I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. It's an invitation. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It's the invitation of living water that we saw to the woman at the well. But we also see that not everybody wants to come into the light. John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But if you read a couple of verses on, it says, but there's a lot of people who aren't going to come in to faith, who've already rejected Jesus, who are not willing to come into the light because they like the dark. They like the things they do in the spiritual darkness. But the invitation is there for everyone. Whoever follows me, whoever comes into the light, embraces the light, embraces me, places their faith and trust in me. It's an invitation to one. It's an invitation to all. He is the light. And he dwells within us. That's part of the light too. He is the light of the world. And we're told that he dwells within us. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1. He says that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In fact, one of the most common ways of referring to Christians that Paul uses all over the New Testament is being in Christ. That scripture we just read, there's no condemnation for those that are what? In Christ. And it's this picture, like in the, uh, in the Old Testament, as Moses is on Mount Sinai, and Moses has this amazing relationship with God, and, he's, and at this one point, he says, let me see your glory, I want to see you. And God says, sorry, it'll kill you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and my glory will pass by. In fact, the, the Hebrews like, you, you, I'll let you see the place where I just was. It'll blow you away. But you can't actually see me. And now Jesus says, I am here. The light is here. And Jesus says, if I go away, I'm going to send my spirit that will actually indwell you like a deposit of what we will experience, the glory, the glory we will experience in, in eternity, the glory of resurrected life. So that you can do what? So that you can be my light bearers all throughout this world. I will indwell you. See, the gospel from, different from every other belief system in the world, Hinduism, naturalism, Buddhism, that just, you know, is you, you can get a better life through karma or, or you can, through Buddhism, you can like sort of get yourself so you have no desire for anything or naturalism, you can have it, try to get everything that's in front of you right now. The gospel says you can have God. God says you can get me. You can have my spirit bringing you life in a whole different way. I'll indwell you in my spirit. Jesus, the light of the world, says, I'll place my spirit within you. I'll give you power to walk in this world in the way he calls you to, to to be a light to others. In fact, Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17, and he says, Father, um, he says, my prayer is not for them alone, for his disciples, um, but he prays for you and I. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That's us. 2,000 years later, Jesus prayed for us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. And through the, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if you place your faith and trust in him, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have a unique and amazing communion and fellowship with God that impacts everything. In fact, it's interesting. One other thing we see about light when it comes to you and I and what God calls us to do. Matthew, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this to his followers. You are the salt of the earth. Salt brings what? Flavor. It preserves things. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Anybody remember that old Sunday school VBS song? This little light of mine. Front row knows it. I'm going to let that shine. This little light. Yeah, you know it, right? Don't let Satan it out. I, yeah, we can make everybody get up and do the motions. And as, and as silly as that feels, um, it's a powerful way to remember the truth of what Jesus says. You are the light of the world that you reflect the glory and the light of Jesus back onto the world, that is you, through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you, you shine the light of Jesus to the world. You help people see Jesus. You bring light. Your presence is meant to bring light into dark places. Your presence as a follower of Jesus is meant to bring joy and comfort and warmth and truth and clarity and peace Wherever you go. And see, just like the people of Israel was called, were, were called to be a light to the world, that a light that would attract people to worship the one true God, that would worship the great I am. And they had some moments of brilliance, but by and large, stumbled and fell. Jesus says, you as my people are going to be the light of the world. As, as you follow me, you're going to bring the light of the world to the ends of the earth. Now, 2,000 years after Jesus walked this earth, you know there's people worshiping and following him and shining his light in every single corner of this earth. There's still tribes, there's still places that need to hear the name of Jesus. We're still working on fulfilling the great commission that he gave us to disciple all nations. But followers of Jesus have taken the light and the truth and the hope of Jesus to the ends of this earth. And not just a few. A huge portion 
a huge portion of the population of this earth now worships the one true God. So really, what, what I want to land with is, is what about you? What would it actually look like if you lived like Jesus was the light of the world? Because you remember that little song? Like he says, nobody, Jesus says, nobody, uh, nobody lights a lamp and then hides it under a bowl. Like, it's not the point. The point is to bring light. Or the little song, right? Hide it under a bushel. No. Come on, that was weak. Hide it under a bushel. Thank you. I'm going to let it shine. The, the, the point is, a lot of Christians are going around holding, like trying to sort of not let the light shine. It's called the shine. So my question is, like, what if you started living each day like you actually were a bearer of light to the world? You know, when you have something good, the kind thing to do is to share it. You learned that as a child, right? I remember I told you at Easter about hiking out on this volcano. Um, well, we only had like a, a couple little headlamps and one of them was dying. And I still remember this guy stopped and he gave us fresh batteries. He gave us light. The kind thing to do, the loving thing to do, the gracious thing to do when you have the light of life is to share it. Is to share it. We have a, a phrase we say around here, and we remind you of my circle, my responsibility. And what we mean by that is that God has placed you in a specific place, and he's given you the responsibility to share his light with those around you. That you would share, you would love others, you would care, that you would pray for them, that you would pray with them, that you would invite them into community. It's really what we, that's what we exist to do around here. To get you to do that, to equip you to do that, to love others. Uh, and it's not just a responsibility, my circle, my responsibility, like this is a duty. It's a joy. When you have something good, have you noticed when you have something good, you eat at a restaurant that you loved, you love telling people about that, don't you? You have the light of the world in you. Do you believe it? Yeah. I hope so. Why don't you share it? It's love that motivates us. It's joy that motivates us to share the light. You know, one of the most powerful phrases you can use, we talk about this all the time too, is just this easy phrase, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Like, not just, oh, I'll pray for you. That's one that Christians often use to deflect and then like walk away and forget. There's something powerful about saying, can I pray for you? See, because as you begin to love and care for those in your circle that God's placed right around you, they're going to share things. There's going to be hard things that are going on. Um, and just to be able to pause and bring Jesus into the conversations, say, can I pray for you? Why? Because you actually believe you serve a God who's alive and who is the light of the world and who brings light into the darkness and who drives back the darkness of spiritual powers and forces. And that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We believe all that. We don't just pray because it's a, a Christian thing to do. It does something. God uses our prayers through whatever <laughs> profound mystery of his sovereignty and, and will. He uses our prayers to accomplish amazing 
things. And one of the most powerful things you can do is, is to say, can I pray for you right now? You know, typically not even atheists will turn down prayer. It's like, oh, okay, what can it hurt, you know? But it's inviting God to, to, to come and be active and present in that moment. And you know what? I believe in so many of those moments, he shows up in a powerful and profound way and does things that only he can do. You just got to be bold. You got to be bold. So here's what I want you to do this week. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you just do this for a week? Like if you've been struggling to, okay, I know with my head, Jesus is the light of the world, and yet if I'm honest about my week, um, I don't really shine that to anybody. I don't really share his light. You know, sharing his light is more than just like being a nice person. That's good. Be a nice person. That, if you're not, you know, do good things. That'll bring glory to your, your father. But it wasn't just, he's speaking this to his followers who take the good news of Jesus throughout the world. Who bear the light of Jesus throughout the world. I'd just like you to, for, for this week, would you get up and each morning, would you pray this? Holy Spirit, please show me today where I can bring the light of Jesus. And then just follow his leading. Here's what I believe. I believe if you actually pray this sincerely, he's going he's to show you. And sometimes you're going to be a little uncomfortable because you're going to be like, eh, it feels a little awkward. But if you'll take that step of obedience, I think he can do powerful things. If you, out of the joy that he's placed in your heart for the salvation, for the life you've been given, just share it. Ask, can I pray for you? Say, hey, I think God can move in your situation. I don't know. He's going to show you. Would you pray that? Would you do that this week? And see how it affects your week. See what opportunities he gives you. Just to reorient your heart to realize that he is the light of the world and you've been called to bear that light to this world. Would you stand? Let's practice this once. And here, here your excuse is going to be, I forgot. So, so, so put this on your, on your uh, lock screen or your phone if you don't know how, ask your kid and I'll show you. Like, just take a picture and when you obsessively check your phone 18,000 times in the next week, um, you'll be reminded to bear the light of Jesus and to ask God to open some opportunities. Let's practice this. Holy Spirit, come on. Holy Spirit, please show me today where I can bring the light of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for my friends. I pray that we would be a people that, that this is just our daily lifestyle. That we're asking you, Lord, that you would guide us, that you would lead us to share you, to be the light you've called us to be in this world, to reflect you, the light of this world. Would you please show us this week where we can bring the light of you? And then will we have the courage to follow your leading, Lord? Thank you so much for who you are and for all you've done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.